Yes, Stephanie, how are you? I'm okay. Thank you for having me today. Welcome. In the Welcome. small room of the office. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed, everything big starts somewhere small. Uh, do you want to tell us who you are? Tell the listeners who you are. Yes, uh, my name is Stephanie. I am a funding officer for the National Market Community Fund, and I am based in Leeds, West Yorkshire, England, Europe. <laughs> mm. So, yeah, what do you understand when I say the term cultural representation? I think that, I think cultural representation is something that's really difficult to define because. I think, first of all, you have to define what culture is and yeah. what, what does that mean to different people. Because I think for me, like, the obvious thing is you know, my culture as like a Filipino-American person. Um, so for me, straight away, it goes to like, my ethnic background. But there, there's, you know, there's different kinds of cultures and subcultures that come up. There are, there are subcultures that um, sort of develop around any marginalized identity, and that doesn't necessarily have to be the most obvious one mm-hmm. um, and I think the the less obvious an identity is uh, sort of the more it's not culturally represented mm-hmm. I guess which brings me to defining you know what is rep- representation what does that mean does that mean just having a person in the room and it's like oh take you've got the person there um, you know you've got like a bingo card and oh you've got like one of each and it's like that's not I don't, I don't think that's a productive way of representing people. Okay. Um, so I think for me, cultural representation is uh, sort of having the, like, the history and the heritage and the experiences of people uh, seen and heard in, uh, in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, that opens the door to, you know, what does it mean by meaningful? Mm-hmm. But I think the first step to that is having sort of the people who experience all of that be there to say it for themselves and to explain it for themselves. Thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, and again, what do you understand or how do you interpret the term dominant cultural bias? Um, so with dominant cultural bias, the way I see it, I think is... I think sometimes if, if you are the dominant culture, it almost it's almost like because you're so dominant, you stop feeling like you have a culture. And I get that a lot with people who are uh, maybe like white American or white mm-hmm. British, where mm-hmm. they say like, "Oh, I'm really, um, really like jealous of people who are from like baby backgrounds because they have this really interesting culture." And it's sort of like, "Well, you have a culture as well, and it's all around us all the time." It's, but you know, it, but because it's so dominant, mm-hmm. it's sort of like like this water that you're swimming in. Like if you were a fish, would you even know that's around you? And I think that's the same way with dominant culture is that you um, you don't have to think about it ever. And whether that's with ethnicity or your sort of gender mm-hmm. or your sexual orientation or even your you know, like your ability. Um, I think that sort of like the opposite to what I said in the previous question, sort of the more dominant your culture is, the, the less you have to think about it. Um, and I think if you're living in that dominant culture, you sort of just assume all of these things and never really question them. Um, so that's sort of where, I guess, the bias comes in mm-hmm. if you just believe these truths because they're true for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you never really think about what that means for other people who might not have the same experience as you. Cool. Thank you. And yeah, and, and off the back of the first two questions, I suppose... Do you want to share any personal examples within your career as a whole 
that where, where these issues have raised their head, if you like. Yeah, I mean, there's so many, but I'll try to try to pick the most relevant ones. Uh, so before I started working here at the fund a few years ago, I was doing a master's in social work, and in England, in England, okay. um, sort of in in the north. So I came here to study and to get my master's in social work, mm. and I found that. Um, I think it was sort of disconcerting to me in a way because this is, you know, this is a course where you're teaching all of these people uh, and they're people who are going to be in positions of power over vulnerable people. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the teaching, or sort of a lot of the uh, curriculum, I guess, wasn't really very critical of the power structures that were in place. I remember one day we were talking about... Um, sort of transracial adoption or, you know, what happens if you are a person who's wanting to adopt a child of a different ethnicity and, you know, the question that we were asked is, that, you know, does it matter? Does it make a difference? And on this course, which was a course that was predominantly white British, mm -hmm. uh, I think a lot of people were sort of like, no, it doesn't matter at all. It doesn't make any difference. But I think me, sort of being a person of color, I was sort of like, you know, it's, it's great if you're a person, regardless of what your ethnic background is, if you want to adopt a child, but that doesn't mean that the cultural issues are going to go away if you are the white parent of a black child or, you know, an, an Asian child. Uh, you know, if there are experiences that they won't go through in their life that you're not going to go through... Yeah. Uh, I think you need to be very, very, very self-aware to be able to raise that child in uh, in a way that honors their heritage. Because I think to pretend that I think to pretend that that doesn't matter takes away a piece of that child's history. So I think that was one sort of particularly egregious example of you know this is like the the dominant cultural bias is that it doesn't matter you know what what the you know what the child's heritage is if you just if you want to adopt them that's fine you don't have to think about all of the ramifications of that so i think that was a pretty pretty big one yeah, yeah, yeah. um but to make it clear you know, if you want to adopt it it's good <laughs> like you can adopt it but there are things you have to think about um so yeah so that was one of them and then i guess even sort of a, another one even in this um in this building where we work uh, I've noticed that, I think it was mentioned one day, that there are accessible toilets on a different floor from where we work. And to get there, you have to get a pass and go to the lift and get in the lift and go up to that floor to go to the accessible toilet. Uh, like for me, that this you know, that is to demonstrating that this building was designed by people living in that, you know, living and breathing and thinking in that dominant culture mm -hmm. of being, you know, uh, or I guess not having a disability. Because if I need to use the toilet, I want to just be able to go yeah, down the hall course, and use it. Yeah. I don't want to have to get a pass, get into a lift, mm -hmm. go to a, a toilet that's two floors away. And, and do you think a lot of the time it becomes an oversight as opposed to something more conscious? I think sometimes it is, and sometimes it isn't. 
but I'm always, I guess, cautious when people say, oh, you know, but it wasn't my intention. I just didn't think about it. But that is part of the problem. Mm -hmm. The problem is that you didn't have to think about it. Whereas a person who uh, needs an accessible toilet and is on this floor, well, they're going to have to think about it. And where, you know, every venue that they go to, they're going to have to think about it. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you don't have to, it, you know, it's really easy, I think, to say, like, it wasn't my intention or, you know, I, it was just an oversight. But that oversight, you know, the, the, the way that you got there doesn't change the impact that it has on the people who are affected by it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there's there's lots of little things like that. Um, sometimes people will say, um, "Sorry, it was like weird things to me." Um, there was this really, like, I mean, it wasn't just one time. I think a lot of the times people are very surprised when uh, I can speak English really well, um, and I guess that that makes sense if you can see me because no, not to <laughs> I, me. I don't. I don't. I don't I, well, that well, thank you. Um, but I think maybe perhaps that itself is dominant culture bias and sort of creeping into my mm-hmm. own understanding of sort of myself. Where I think if you live someplace, I mean that's sort of skipping ahead. But I'm gonna I'm gonna say okay if I talk about this yeah, as well. Yeah, of course. Because I think you do if you live in that space, um, you internalize a lot of the way that people see you. And after a while, it's sort of almost just like, oh, I, like I don't even have the energy to be upset by this because I can see, I, I guess I can see where it's coming from. Almost like, um, oh God, um, Stockholm syndrome or something, where it's sort of like, oh, hey, this is this is just how it is, mm-hmm. and there's no way out of this, so you just have to accept. Accept it, even though there's a part of you that's sort of like, I don't want to accept this, and then a part of you that's sort of like, well, this is just going to keep happening, so like. What am I going to do about that? Um, well, why did I go on that rant? Oh, right. Because, yeah, no, it, it happens where people are really, like, surprised when I speak really well. And it's sort of like, well, you know, I, I, I might be a person of, like, Southeast Asian origin. Uh, but I'm also, like, I was raised in America. I was kind of like, mm-hmm. that Americanness is as part of my culture as... Being Filipino is, mm-hmm. uh, and that that is a conversation for another day. Okay, can um, I just ask a quick question? Yes. Just to close that little part. When people look at you, what do you think they see? Do they see the Filipino woman, or do they see the American woman? Um. See, not here. See. Honestly, neither. Okay. I don't think they see okay. either because I think when people see me, I think they see a Chinese person. Because for a lot of people, it it is like, oh, okay, well, you're, you know, you're you're not white, but you're not black, and you're not sort of South Asian. Mm-hmm. But the only other option I can think of is Chinese, and it's sort of like that's the box that you fit in. Yeah, okay. um, so I think it's sort of like I don't get seen as American. Some sometimes, most of the time. Um, and I don't get seen as Filipino either because mm-hmm. I think people have a, an idea of this is what a Filipino person is supposed to look like. Or, you know, depending on where you go, I guess most people, or not most people, but some people don't know what a Filipino person yeah, is. It's just like, what, like, what is that? I didn't know there were other options. <laughs> but I get, I get the issue. <laughs> 
Well, no, it's one of those really. I, I, I was filling out a, a job application once where you know they were doing the sort of the qualities monitoring, and I was I was trying to find the box to tick, and the options I had were um, white British, white Irish, white other, uh, I think Indian, Pakistani, or Chinese, and then Chinese other. And I was like, what is Chinese other? Like, you're, you're either Chinese or you're not. Are you talking about other kinds of Asian people? So I didn't apply for that job because I thought, I, I, I'm not going to survive in a workplace where they think that Chinese other is, is an yeah. actual category. Yeah. It's like, you know. Um, and I think, yeah. but I think that that's also influenced by um, where I am because in the UK, I don't think that you have as many Filipinos as we do on like in America, especially mm-hmm. on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think how how I'm perceived here in the UK, uh, sort of similar to how I'm perceived in the US. But I think in the US, I think people are at least more familiar of like, oh, uh, Filipinos, we have so many of those, or they can figure it out based on my last name because mm-hmm. they think, well, you look Asian. But you have a very sort of like Latino-sounding yeah, last yeah, name, yeah. Uh, so there's a. I mean, it's a very intricate process mm-hmm. of figuring it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I get I get Chinese a lot, or maybe Japanese, sometimes Korean, one time Indonesian. But I'm just like you know, close enough. Like they're <laughs> <laughs> they're pretty near to each other. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Uh, so yeah, going back to cultural representation. What do you feel are some of the symptoms? What, how does it show? Uh, I think that goes back to what I was... I think you know, that, that little like, mini-conversation we had earlier where I you know, sort of tried to brush off, oh, when people see me, they just assume that I can't speak English mm-hmm. and, oh, it makes sense if you see what I look like. And that you internalise that... Um, sort of the, that, the way that the dominant culture sees you. And I think that... Uh, it is a bit, of a, a bit of a struggle, I think, to sort of swim against that tide. Um, and uh, so, wait, uh, I lost my train of thought. I think, again, like, like you said about the job example you gave, you, you chose not to apply for that job because of what you thought based on the equal opportunities monitoring and the, and the boxes. And maybe it's it's... What are the things that you have to daily challenge yourself with in order to almost stay with the battle? Because it sounds at times it's like a battle and the energy isn't there. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's something I think that sort of like ebbs and flows. When I was living in a different city, that was maybe like a little less mm-hmm. uh, cosmopolitan than means, mm-hmm. or I guess let I me, mean, there were just fewer people there. And it was a city, but it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't a large city. Okay. I think for me, that lack of um, sort of like my own cultural representation. I think it was just something that I had to accept, and and that was kind of like depressing. I think you just there's you know there's a point where you're just like I will, this is just the way things are, um, and I don't really know how to change that, um, and I think. You almost convince yourself, it's like depending on what the situation is, that sort of it's your like you're the problem, 
of just like, oh, like you're you're surrounded by all of these people and they don't have a problem with it, but you're you know you're unhappy. But if everyone else is happy, maybe you're the problem. And it's only after you get out of that where you realize, like, no, like I'm not always the problem. Turns out, like there there was something. Uh, there was something wrong or mm-hmm. like, the way that people treated me wasn't uh, wasn't right and mm-hmm. um, I think even now I've moved to Leeds but it's still um, and, you know I live in uh, you know not a very culturally diverse neighborhood um, and I think that sort of I don't know, I think, I think I live in a, a fairly affluent neighborhood of Leeds and you get people who are predominantly white, predominantly sort of middle class and they mean well, you know, they, you know, they might like go to yoga and subscribe to the Guardian and drink oat, you know, oat milk lattes, but if anything that makes it challenging, like that makes it more challenging when they say stuff that's a bit like, ooh, that was kind of messed up. And because like the defenses go up right away. And I think if you're living in that environment, sometimes you have to make the choice of like, oh, well, I have these friends. Um, and sometimes they say these things that are like a bit like weird and kind of make me uncomfortable. Do I challenge that uh, and possibly lose my friends? Or do I just never have any friends? I think when you're living in... Um, in a place where you're not part of the dominant culture, I think you you often have to pick and choose like moments of like, do I want to just make myself smaller in this space so that I can fit in, or do I want to fight? And then there, are, I think for me, there are days where it's sort of like I'm tired of you know I'm tired of making myself smaller. I'm going to fight this. Yeah. And then there are times where it's sort of just like I can't, um, I can't do this by myself, yeah. and I will just have to accept that this is the way that it is. Uh, but it's you know it's not it's not a solid state it's you know a thing that varies from day to day um, and I think I, I as I've gotten older as well it's been or it's gotten uh, not a whole lot easier but you know it's getting there um, to a point where I can where I can set those boundaries and say like well, actually I don't have to accept this um, from from other people, or oh, maybe it is better to sort of be alone and feel that I have, I guess, like my self respect and my self worth intact rather than sort of like co signing the weird views that people have, or um, I guess making people feel better about their own shortcomings. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know if that answered that. I'm sure there are, I mean, yeah, there are other symptoms, because I think I was, sorry, going to answer that question again as well. I think I was speaking about, you know, my own personal experiences, but I think there are wider sort of material symptoms. Uh, as I discussed before, not having accessible toilets on every, every floor, uh, you know, it's not just something that has, you know, like a psychological or emotional impact on people who aren't represented, but there are sort of material things that people uh, people don't get because of that uh, and it impacts well, what else I mean it impacts so many things do you um, think sometimes does it feel like you squeeze yourself to fit an environment in any way or um, sometimes definitely sometimes not as much now um, and I mean, I think it, it, it's made a massive difference working in 
an office environment where there are, like how many of us are there now? There are three, three whole others now. Maybe. Is it just, wait, me, you, Chris and Hattu, that's four. That was, it was three plus me. Okay. It was, it was bad math. Okay. So it was three in addition to myself. Okay, yeah. Uh, and I think even that's made a massive difference to me. Uh, whereas before, you kind of just like, I don't know, you're like swimming along and you're pretending like, this is fine, this is, I'm good with this. And then it's only afterwards when you're in a different situation where you feel like, oh, like what I had before, that was like, that was actually not great. Like, this is so much better. Um, and I think that, but there are still times now where um, I do, I do still feel like I have to make myself smaller because I live in, uh, you know, I, I live and interact in a lot of spaces that mm -hmm. are um, dominated by people who are white. And I'm sure that there are, you know, there are also some ways that I'm part of, of, of a dominant culture. Um, so I think that requires another level of self-reflection mm -hmm. as well. Um, and I think I always, as I'm trying to work on sort of as much as I'm aware of ways that dominant culture sort of tries to, or makes me feel like I have to make myself smaller because I have that experience. I, you know, I want to sort of be aware of, okay, well, how how am I benefiting from the dominant culture, and how is sort of my my action or inaction? How does that impact on other people, and whether they have space as well? Yeah. So. Well, thank you. So again, leading on a little, uh, what are some of the approaches and system changes needed to improve or widen cultural representation within the workplace? That's a, bit, that's a very big question. Um, but I think really the first... The sum tried to make it a little bit of a smaller question. <laughs> what are some of the approaches? I, mean, I, just, I just have so many thoughts. So um, Let them come out. I don't know. I think really the, the first thing... I think really the, the first thing that we all have to do is I think we need to um, sort of be willing to be vulnerable to the idea that we um, we all have our impact mm -hmm. on on the way that to the whole system works, mm -hmm. um, and especially from people who are in positions of influence who, or who, who do benefit from dominant cultures, you have to sort of accept that like sometimes you are part of the group that is doing the oppressing. And then, you know that's a, you know that that isn't like a blanket. Oh, everyone is horrible all of the time. But I think it's one of those things where we we just have to have that willingness to reflect and be self aware. Um, and I think you know it, it's, it's like it's really cheesy, but it does. It starts with you. <laughs> <laughs> just like have fun and do your best. Uh, I mean, I don't. I mean, it's it's like it's more articulate in my head than it's mm -hmm. coming out. But I think, um, yeah, and I think it's one of those things where, like, I have the I guess like a, the best way I can answer is by giving like an example. But like in the past, people have tried to to really like recruit me to their like oh equality and diversity 
team in, you know, in other jobs or, you know, in, in other places because I was literally the only person. So it was sort of like, yes, come on, like, come join the conversation. Yeah. And then you join that conversation and your, you know, not your, I end up being surrounded by, like, just people who are white. I just like, there's nothing, you know, nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, sort of like, as soon as you say anything that could in any possible way implicate them, um, then that sort of like, the, there's that defensiveness and they're like, oh, but I'm not like that. Will you tell me that I'm not like that? And then that changes like, the, the conversation to make it not about the problem at hand or how do you change the system. And that it then turns into, like, I need you, the person who is being impacted by um, this sort of, like, dominant structures in a negative way. I need you to make me feel better about myself because I don't want to feel guilty. Um, and I think that is, like, the first step is really, like, taking that discomfort and just being okay with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's leaning into that discomfort mm-hmm. and sort of riding it out. And not trying to protect yourself from it if you're a person who is benefiting yeah. from the dominant cultural bias. Yeah. So I think that was a better way of explaining everything. Cool. And on the flip side, what are some of the benefits of widening cultural uh, representation and challenging some of the biases? I guess I just want to go back and like yeah, yeah. preface my previous thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, this is going to be a long one. I hope you don't mind. Um, right. And I think one of the re- one of the reasons that I sort of want to be so aware of the you know if I am doing work to uh, sort of make things more equal, I think I have in mind sort of the historical context of um, for a lot of um, sort of like. East and Southeast Asian people in the U.S. Um, like there is also, you know, while we have our own history of sort of being oppressed within like that dominant, mm-hmm. you know, like white supremacist American culture. Uh, I said what I said. <laughs> um, yep. I think there's. Also, <laughs> it's just it's true. It's true. It's true. It's true. Um, I think we we have that experience of being oppressed in that way, but we also within ourselves we have a history a legacy of anti-blackness in our communities and that's something that you can see in you know so like this was i mean i was like a baby when this happened but i have heard about like the the race riots in los angeles and sort of like all of the racial tensions but also um yeah i think the you know there, there was a sort of korean shop owner who shot a, you know, a black teenager and so i think you know i don't want to ever sort of you know, even though we're all people who sort of face discrimination under that umbrella of white supremacy I don't want to erase um, I guess the ways that sort of people from my community sort of perpetuate that injustice ourselves and um, which is why I think when I Think about what are the wider represent. You know, what what are the wider and benefits? I want it to be wider benefits for people who aren't just like me. Mm-hmm. And I think perhaps maybe that is a better better explanation of that. Um, so I, but to answer the you know to answer the question, I guess the the wider benefits would be um, again you know sometimes even just material things like 
well, people who need accessible toilets will be able to access them. Or, you know, if you're, you know, if, if young black men are more represented in the dominant culture and in a way that doesn't represent them unfairly or like mm-hmm. stereotypes them, then, you know, then maybe they'll actually be safer in society instead of having to sort of be on guard because some, some person is like terrified of a person who's just, you know, the person who's just trying to exist mm-hmm. in public. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's that, yes, yeah, it's that sort of safety for people, um, you know, for people to be able to exist as themselves and without hiding themselves away. Um, yeah, and you know, and access to these spaces, access to these spaces where they're able to uh, influence other other people and help other people to feel able to um, be more comfortable in themselves. Uh, can I give an example? Yeah, like, of that, <laughs> I think it, it's always helpful when I give an example. Um, but I think when when was it? I think it was around Halloween of last year. Um, so in the UK, it's Black History Month in October, whereas mm-hmm. in uh, in the US we have it in February. Yeah. Um, and for Black History Month. Um, I was organizing something for our whole team meeting, which is a shame that you only started two days after because you missed yeah, yeah. it. Um, I heard a lot about it. it I'm, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad that you've heard about it. Yeah, yeah, good things. But I think it was really because Abdu was so encouraging in the weeks leading up to it, where sort of I was explaining to him my thought process um, about not wanting it to be this sort of very like tokenistic event mm-hmm. where we just like take black British culture and turn it into a commodity and consume yeah, it yeah, without yeah, being yeah, yeah. sort of critical in any way of the way that sort of we exist in this space. Um, and I think if he hadn't been in that position, if he wasn't our head of region, if it was some like if it was another person, if it was like a white head of region who didn't understand where I was coming from or was just like, you're not white, can you talk about black history? I would just be like, I don't know if I'm comfortable in in having the conversation mm-hmm. that I want to have. But with Abdu, I sort of felt more, um, I was more comfortable asking challenging questions. And he was there as well on the day of the meeting and I just felt like, I was like that, you know, he didn't have to say it, but I felt supported and I felt like I am able to, to ask these questions and to, yeah, and they weren't, you know, they weren't easy questions, you know, it wasn't like, oh, like, who was Martin Luther King? Or, or um, it was just like stuff about like, where do you fit in to, that's the, the impacts that, to like having a white dominant culture has and to be able to ask that to a predominantly white group is really really like sort of nerve-wracking mm-hmm. um, but to even just have one other person there and one person who's in um, sort of a position of influence supporting me that sort of made me uh, feel more able to just, yeah, to, just yeah, yeah. To, to talk about stuff like yeah. that so I think you know if we have more people representing 
the, the people who are usually like left out, mm-hmm. then it means we can have these conversations openly and honestly. And it's only through having these conversations that anything's going to sort of get better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and, and bearing in mind, you said it was October, Black History Month. Do you feel there's been any, you've seen any movements or legacy of benefits from that session? Um, I mean, however I, small, however larger. I know that people have been asking to have more things like that. Um, so I think that you know, there has there haven't been massive changes yet, mm-hmm. um, but I do think that it didn't have you know it, it did have sort of an impact on people, mm-hmm. um, and it is a conversation that we would like to continue. Yeah. It hasn't happened yet. Um, it's, it's not to say it won't. It's not to say that it won't, and I really do. I genuinely felt that people were on board with it, mm-hmm. and they weren't just like not saying anything because they didn't want to feel um, sort of like left out or attacked. I think people genuinely listened to that conversation, um, and I have sort of heard that some you know some people want to continue the conversation, and it's just about, I guess. Finding the time for that, yeah, um, yeah, and I think we'll 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 see, <laughs> we'll see. I have bought a book um, to sort of try to plan more more sessions, uh, but it's I think for 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 me personally, um, I think that was a lot of progress mm-hmm. in um, in an office that is in Northern England. Um, because I don't know if I don't know if I would have done that in other places that I worked up here, and I don't know if it would have gone over as well in other places. Um, I think in other places I worked, it would have the conversation would have been like, "Why are you making me feel bad?" Yeah, 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 yeah. But it wasn't in this case. So I th- yeah, I, I hope the conversation continues, and um, I have bought a book, so <laughs> we'll, we'll see we'll see where that goes. Cool. I asked you about the book in podcast three now. <laughs> I think two's already full, three's now taking its agenda. Uh, flip side, what's the key drawback of doing nothing? Is it an emergency? Is 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 there a sentiment for change and a commitment to change needed now? Um, or next year's all right. I think there's. All, I mean, I think it it's always needed to you know to be done um, and I think you know, that the key drawback to doing nothing is that yeah it's not just nothing changes sometimes it's that things actively get worse um, and I think people just think like oh if I don't do anything well it might like it might stay the same it's like no it's, it won't stay the same it will get worse and all you have to do is look at the way the world is right now um, and I think it's always it's always been urgent um, but I think people are having more conversations about it now, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't a problem before. I guess it's sort of in that way, it's a bit like climate change, where yeah, people yeah. are sort of like, oh, there's a climate crisis, but it's like literally something that people have been talking about for decades, yeah, yeah. and now at least as more people have a platform for it, um, but it's always been, it's always been urgent, um, it's always been a problem, and just because like, 
the people who haven't been impacted about it are only finding about it I mean, finding out about it now that doesn't mean that it wasn't existing before um so i think yes yeah, so i think yeah that is i guess my answer for that it's just we do have to do something um and i spent oh, I guess, oh one thing that really annoys me which is kind of related to this question but i just want to talk about it because mm-hmm. it bothers me mm-hmm. um one of the worst things is when people say, like, oh, any kind of bigotry, it's all going to go away when the older generation dies out. <laughs> because it's just like, no. Like, the older people who are bigots have just passed it down to their kids. There are, like, you know, the, you know little kids that are, like, that are racist, that are homophobic, you know, that are sexist, you know, that do discriminate. And I think just sort of just being like, oh, no, like, all, all, like, all the youth... All the youth are woke now. It's like no, like that you they need to be taught and um and I think that's that's one of those things that's really frustrating where yeah. people sort of like, Oh, we don't have to do anything because the kids are gonna do it. But yeah. some of those kids are just as bad as the adults. Yeah. And the environment is always changing, so the the direction or the source, if you like, or the root of the stereotypes are continuing anyway. Therefore, no generation is is far away from it. You know, it doesn't mean about the old people. You know. So yeah, I, I take your point. I take your point. One step, your organisation, thinking about your organisation as a whole, maybe. Uh, one step, your organisation could take to improve cultural representation and begin to to negate or balance off some of that dominant cultural bias? Um, God, I don't even know. <laughs> I think to just I listen to the people who have um, who, who are able to contribute to that conversation in a meaningful way. So, you know, we, we always say it when people apply, oh, we want to hear from people with mm-hmm. lived experience. Mm-hmm. Well, you have staff that have lived experience, um, and they are going to say things, and um, you sort of have to listen actively. I think we all do. And not just sort of listen in a way where, oh, you hear the words and you're just like, oh, I feel bad about that. That's not, that's that's a pity. That's a shame. And then you sort of carry on uh, with your day. It, I guess it's just one of those things where, I guess you have to, we all have to listen and we have to figure out where we're going to be in the solution. Um, and, or, you know, how are you going to contribute to the change? Um, and how are you, you know, how are you being impacted by sort of the dominant cultures, whether that's being impacted negatively or whether you're contributing to that dominant culture. Um, I think we just need to be, like that's, you know, the the first step is being uh, able to have that conversation in a productive way. Uh, Yeah, so I guess that's, that's where, where cool. I would start. Cool. Uh, and yeah, anything else you'd like to say that's been stimulated from your own comments, your own thoughts? I have so many thoughts that I don't know which direction to go in. Thank you for your time, Stephanie. Uh, and yeah, it's a pleasure to talk to you. 
Thank you. Bye.